0: We estimate the Sun might have risen over Earth 1,659,330,750,000 times, and will likely rise as many times again or more before the Sun consumes our world, and yet many more worlds will live on after ours, most not coalescing for trillions of years after Earth is but a memory. What will that last planet be like? That last sunset? and will anyone be left to see it? To all good things there comes an end, and as much as we all like sequels to a good story, there's no denying that even the most compelling tales tend to get boring after a time. Perhaps that's so for all planets or the Universe itself, but after trillions of sunsets, it does not seem that the tale of Earth has grown tiresome yet. Truth be told, we don't know how many times the sun will rise and set on this world. The days used to be faster back in the primordial era of Earth. Our orbital dance with our moon has slowed in tempo over the eons, and will keep doing so as time goes on. Stars form and then die, and from their ashes are new worlds born, around new suns. To the best of our knowledge, this process began about 13.5 billion years ago, roughly thrice the Earth's age, and our current models suggest that our galaxy will still have nebulae, pockets of gas dense enough for stars to form from, for some time between 10 to 100 trillion years from now. We believe the last stars will be examples of blue dwarfs, stars which aren't known to exist anywhere in the universe yet, But will emerge from the smaller and longest lived red dwarfs as they exhaust their fuel but do not swell into red giants, instead simply burning hotter, shifting from a peak in red and infrared light to the blues and ultraviolets. Any planet orbiting such a world close enough to feel its warmth, even if covered in ice, would have long since stopped having sunrises. The slow effect of tidal friction would have brought it to a standstill, always dark on one side and lit by that blue sun on the other, all day, for untold eons uninterrupted. Its oceans slowly evaporate away as those harsher blues and ultraviolet lights trip the sea and sky into the eternal night above. On the dark side there are no stars, as all the other stars have died, And even the remaining handful of blue dwarfs that lived till recently, scattered across the whole galaxy, were too dim to have been seen with the naked eye, even if they were as close to this world as Alpha Centauri is to us. It's a world sheathed in ice on the dark side, but a little less every year, as some melts and thaws to the light side. There may even be some ice left when the star finally ceases all fusion and begins to cool and contract into a white dwarf, and even dimmer from there. It is the story that arose in my mind's eye when I first saw the image I end up using as cover art for this episode, a dim blue star above a desolate world. And since the end of all things is told in so many stories, I thought we might discuss that more today, as well as what sort of civilization might still be around by then and what it might be like. There are many ways things might end, and we've discussed the higher tech routes a lot in our Civilizations at the End of Time series of refueling stars or disassembling them all to power artificial engines and black holes. It is entirely likely the last star will be in a virtual environment, one of a handful of remaining virtual realities running on computers that carry digital copies of a trillion trillion ancient minds who have each lived a trillion trillion years when at last the battle with entropy is deemed unwinnable and they settle out to drain their energy reserves before seeing if there is something elsewhere. Maybe they instead scramble to enter black holes, hoping they lead to another universe. Who knows, maybe our own sun is the last, refueled over and over from immense stockpiles acquired from around the galaxy by trade or tribute. We will talk about those options in passing today, but they all tend to rely on the notion of the universe being a place we truly can colonize and mega-engineer. This is a critical concept on this show in so many of our discussions, and the main reason we tend to assume there are no extant alien civilizations inside our galaxy or its neighbors, we don't see those civilizations, the galaxy is devoid of their 1000000000 ward empire, and absent of those megastructures, we would expect to be everywhere. So we assume we are the first, if we could build such things, but if we are not, maybe the Galactic Empire will send a representative soon to tell us how we need not fear anyone else, but we can forget about colonizing the galaxy. We get our planets and are entitled to nothing else, and any ship leaving our solar system will be politely told to turn back, and if not, it will be politely vaporized. No great star empires for humanity, no Dyson Swarms, just Earth. And the same for everyone else, until the gathering darkness consumes all but a handful of last planets, too scattered from each other to speak left alone in a galaxy too sparse to offer any oasis to those who did dare journey out from their dying world. Or perhaps space colonization is far harder than we imagine and yet possible. It can be done in only those extreme cases, as we sometimes imagined in science fiction of the mid-20th century. Earth can muster the energy or resources to colonize just one or two worlds for us to travel to when this one is too old. So we escape from Earth to another world in a billion years' time, and then another and another. Perhaps occasionally we spread to two planets, on a single leap or later muster the effort for another, or even a few but not all succeed, and one time none at all succeed. The effort involved and the long-term success rates are just too low and costly that even if there were a thousand wars to bring forth intelligent life, spread out over the eons and transplanting themselves into their respective neighboring systems, sometimes dividing and sometimes failing altogether, so that little or no contact between those nomadic species was made. For my part, I do not think this will be so. And we had reason for optimism even during our look at ultra-slow colonization of this galaxy what we call colonizing, Even when we consider colony ships with speeds anywhere from a hundredth to a mere thousandth of light speed, it was daunting but seemed entirely viable. And yet, with it being over fifty years since a human set foot on another world, him being but one of twelve to do so, and that world merely our own moon, it is not hard to believe there may be more difficulties than we assume there is no official plan and date yet for a second or more permanent presence on the Moon, and much of this is because we want to do it right, without it being unacceptably expensive or dangerous, and we keep finding new costs and dangers as we contemplate it. Until we have a permanent and mostly self-sufficient outpost on another world, even just our own Moon, Many think it might be hubris to just assume we will conquer all the problems of moving vast amounts of cargo and people on multi-century voyages to desolate planets and making them new paradises for humanity, and phrased that way, it is certainly daunting to contemplate. For my part, I believe it is doable, and that will surprise no one who has watched much of this show, but I am hardly without my doubts. What if we are just the latest in a long line of civilizations to emerge on some planet, be impressed by our own cleverness, then realize that journeying to other stars is not something that can ever be economically viable. That at best, it's economically ruinous to launch any expedition with a decent chance of success and that most civilizations put it off for many millennia, they figure it will get easier with time and with more technology and experience. Some blow themselves up in the process of getting that technology and experience, some just keep putting it off and off until there are whole libraries of well-edited arguments against doing it that people just reuse whenever someone suggests it. Sometimes they start but it fizzles, problems arise, or funding dries up, and the next time, people are even more cynical about it, sometimes they do launch and the mission is a failure. Sometimes a colony arrives and it's a big deal messages are sent back congratulating them, messages that arrive many years after the first landing was made, and no one replies back. People keep their fingers crossed that the comm gear is damaged, or maybe the colony just needs some time to establish itself, and even centuries later, some keep up the hope that one day a message will come back, or even that distant descendants of those colonists who have forgotten all will reinvent technology and send a message. Some even wonder if, even if the colony failed, we might see signs of terraforming bacteria emitting biosignatures, maybe in 10 or 20,000 years there may be a very basic but established ecology on that planet, for a second easier attempt. On many of Earth's twins, throughout the billions of stars in this galaxy and the billions of other galaxies, some blow themselves up before they make that second attempt, and some do not. Some never make that attempt even if they saw the biosignature of basic terrestrial bacteria and microbes taking root on those dead soils under alien suns. But what really is 10 or 20,000 years against a million, or a billion? Surely eventually someone will succeed, and even if it's a thousand centuries between serious attempts, 5,000 generations passing before they psych themselves up to try again, or delude themselves enough to think they can succeed, over a billion years, that's 10,000 attempts. Even if they learn nothing from each try, and even if each attempt only had a 1% chance of success, then that's a hundred times they should've succeeded. But maybe the first success turned them off trying again. Their cousins on that world always want free discoveries and technology, never offer any but basic and mostly useless data on the barren rock they live on. They are hostile eventually, too, and make it very clear that any future colonists sent to this world, now that they have made it viable, can expect a cold welcome, or a very, very hot one, in the form of a surface to orbit nuclear missile. There will be no shuttling billions of citizens there. Your psychologists suspect they might alter their own data to eliminate their historical connection to your homeworld, so you figure even trying again isn't going to save many of your people anyway a few thousand on an ark ship, leaving billions to die when your son does, and they will just mutate into spiteful children anyway. Or maybe it gets reasonably easy to send automated probes with samples of microbes and seeds to other worlds, and you can just send swarms of terraforming bacteria and follow up trees and plants and even insects, but you just can't make the freezing process work for bigger life forms and you don't trust an AI smart enough to be able to grow people in an artificial room and raise them to adulthood. Maybe just one civilization manages to engineer an artificial panspermia scenario, a critter robust enough to survive on airless death traps and frozen ice balls that propagate spores and can survive 10,000 years of floating in the void between stars to bring basic microbial life to every system in the galaxy after a billion years of slowly drifting around. Heck, maybe that happened 4 billion years ago and we we're just the first to rear our heads. Or many do and have or will And all just keep poking their heads up into the heavens and finding that it's a desolate nothingness devoid of everything but lethal radiation. Except on those rare occasions you do make a genuinely successful and independent self-sufficient colony, then ten generations later it grows up and becomes a belligerent alien empire next door, and neither of you ever goes for another round of colonies because you figure that at best they're an expensive prestige effort And at worst, you are surrounding yourselves with possible enemies who are not likely to send you an armada of space freighters with resources when you get low on them and ask, and are just as likely to send an armada of warships to take whatever you have left. That's assuming the reckless new colony of ungrateful mutants doesn't unleash some doomsday plague of self replicating AI on the galaxy. So, why on Earth, or anywhere else in the galaxy, would you fund some colony effort? There are so many ways that the answer could turn out to be that space travel is possible, it just has a very strong tendency not to result in galaxy sprawling mega-civilizations. That we can never replace planets with megastructures as the mainstay of where people live because it just takes too much construction and maintenance, and are harder to defend than we imagined, and we do not trust any machine smart enough to do it in an automated fashion and those, even when they do go nuts, just turn into golems endlessly building some habitat segment, or paperclip warehouse, until their badly programmed, patchworked, mutated coding drives them into non-functional states of psychosis. It's so focused on building components for a Dyson Swarm that it can't even conceptualize that it needs to stop as there are so many of them that they're smashing into each other and setting off debris cascades, with effects that make Kessler Syndrome seem like a minor cold. So, all we, or any alien world, ever see out in the sky is a whole lot of emptiness and failure, and at best a slow populating of planets as they form from the monumental colony-building efforts. Often planets spend thousands of centuries populated before dying off, maybe resurging later, maybe the world un itself in that time, maybe someone else comes by and seeds it, or nukes it, Maybe the emerging colonists end up at war with their very distant and now primitive cousins when they arrive on the barely livable rock their ancestors set off for a thousand years ago and find a tribe of techno-barbarians are still resident and don't want to share what little is left. Maybe they survive anyway for a few more centuries, till another opportunistic colony ship from another neighboring system shows up to fight both them and the original inhabitants. So the galaxy does fill up over a billion years, but doesn't sound like the place we normally envision it as on this show. Nobody seems like they're sharing science and art very freely, or trying for grand feats of mega-engineering. Whenever some new system forms, people notice. It takes tens of millions of years to show evidence of an emerging worthwhile planet though, while that new system probably drifts past thousands of populated systems. Some of them are going to feel they have good intercept vectors to send a colony ship and claim that new world. Maybe they even do, scrambling to get there and fight off anyone who arrives a few decades or centuries later. Maybe those folks never got something like an Orion Drive working, but they sure do have nuclear energy, and they did bring some nukes. And blowing up a couple isolated colony domes on something as big as a planet isn't very noticeable or dangerous to that world, and taking over after might be easier. They might even do that on purpose, figuring they can salvage and steal from the first folks, and intentionally time to be second or third on the scene. Without stargates, nobody can enforce anything across all those light years, even if they do get a message off before you strike. After all, Comm gear is pretty much by definition pretty easy to spot and target if it's in regular use. This isn't a Lovecraftian galaxy war painting yet, anyway, but it sure isn't a hospitable place. Everybody's got technology, except during interregnums of collapse. Some so intense they might see that plant's equivalent of monkeys or raccoons rising a million years later to open the next chapter. They've got spaceships that can travel to neighboring worlds, but not for real trade. They might even be a few inhabited plants in a given system, and dozens of asteroid colonies. After a million years, they just don't feel like neighboring countries anymore either, but aliens. For all that you still keep in touch and maybe occasionally trade technology, or alt or volleys of missiles. In this reality, you can still terraform planets like Venus with giant thin solar shades, but maybe wars or terrorism make maintaining that trickier than we would hope. It takes a powerful economy to make that happen and allow the future developed plant's economy to maintain it for eons. You can still have solar mirrors warming Mars, big solar-powered electromagnets diverting ionizing particles away from the fragile atmosphere you created there, shielding the Galilean moons of Jupiter. Your homeworld may have some fairly robust and ancient space habitats orbiting it. Those may have been built even more sturdy and even repopulated when someone dumped a mega plague in one or flat-out nuked the interior, leaving a smoldering shell to be repaired a thousand years later when the orbital debris from the newest epoch of Kessler Syndrome clears out and makes orbital travel sane again. When your sun started warming, you did deploy solar shades over your planet to help protect it. Maybe you even managed to avoid ever having those wrecked so badly every million or so years that you couldn't repair them before they critically damaged the ecosystem. In the end, your war does die though. Maybe for a billion more years, there are remnants of civilization hanging out in asteroids or deeper space colonies and they can bring those back in to somewhere near the remnant white dwarf and keep something going for a while till they can just barely keep up with routine repairs and some calamity tips them over. Maybe an effort is meant to send some ship with archives or even frozen people or transhumans or post-biologicals to survive in some neighboring system where you believe they would be welcomed as refugees simply because they are few in number. A few dozen people is no drain or threat to a populated solar system, after all. And this cycle continues, down the eons, down through the disruption a few billion years, when Andromeda and our galaxy merge, and a handful of other noteworthy neighboring galaxies bound by gravity pile in to form one final, stable supergalaxy. That should be wrapping up around the time the last outs in the outer solar system, when the Sun reaches its maximum size 7.6 billion years from now and either swallows or cinders Earth. At that time, the galactic civilization such as it is might miss Earth, but the production of stars will not have diminished yet. We won't even be 1% of the way through the period of time at which new stars form at high intensity. The universe will need to be a thousand times its current age before it gets hard to find a new star in your area, though free ones empty for the taking would still be something very uncommon. On average, less than 10 new stars appear in this galaxy every year, most of them near other new ones, but that generally means for the sector of 10,000 or so colonized solar systems nearest some new one, each potentially interested in trying to claim it, that is still an event only happening in that sector a few times every million years, and often not at all for far longer stretches. I can easily imagine that being a big enough deal in a galaxy once fully inhabited that colonization was guaranteed, all the more so as time runs on and star formation dips from maybe a thousand a century galaxy-wide to just a hundred. Then as even more eons go by, a few dozen, and each one is smaller on average that's okay, the smaller the star the longer it lives. It's been several trillion years now since life formed in this galaxy on Earth. The world is so far gone that even worlds which remember it have long since died. No one cares they're distantly related, far further back than even our own kinship with a mushroom. Nobody has invented anything new in a hundred billion years, because if they had been constantly improving their science and technology, they should have long since figured out vastly superior energy and travel options. There are no other galaxies out there anymore except the ultra-redshifted ghostly remnants of the Council of Giants and some of the rest of the bits of the Volgo supercluster. Stars are now winking out faster than they're being born, and everyone knows why but maybe many intentionally forgot. After all, most of what's left are red dwarfs destined to live a trillion years or more themselves, and who really cares about a crisis even a million years away? So for the 99.9999% of remaining inhabited planets not yet in that million year window, why discuss it? All the options are already known, nobody is coming up with any new ones at this point, better to accept it, or even erase it, there's nothing to be done besides causing existential upset there are no new stars to migrate to either. Those bare handfuls emerging are thousands of light-years apart, and there's always someone else closer and willing to duke it out to claim it. We expect the last natural star to form around the year 100 trillion, in a galaxy where stars are already getting few and dim, so much so that the night sky will be black to their eyes, and again on the wards, there is an eternal dayside and a night sky on one side, devoid of any stars, or maybe just one or two, certainly no constellations. These are our old wards too, ones a trillion years old if not more. If your civilization ever forgets what happened, as it may intentionally do sometimes, trying to figure out that there is a mostly dead galaxy outside won't be easy, and an expanded and disappeared universe beyond even harder. Perhaps every million years there's a resurgence of discovery, or some refugee spaceship arrives with its profits of doom. Odds aren't bad that space travel has long since been perfected and the designs and specs never really lost at the galactic scale. You couldn't ever really profitably trade or colonize or invade but a ship of explorers that is more plausible. How many worlds out there could still allow a robust and well-equipped group to land on a once-inhabited ice ball where the last civilization there collapsed a hundred thousand years before and yet had salvageable enough material for a brief stay and scavenge? Maybe one part archaeological dig and one part grave robbing? I'm not sure what's powering those ships now, maybe nobody ever got fusion working well enough to be better than using solar power, but good enough to run a ship. If not, There not any uranium left at this point, or thorium, not from any supernova, but there may be places able to still create it. Just because they never figured out how to make micro-black holes doesn't mean they never learned how to extract power from the existing ones, but it is a dangerous and precise game, trying to keep a long-term civilization around a true black hole without the sorts of mega-engineering we usually contemplate. One wrong move can end that place. And leave it lifeless for a long time before anyone could resettle and restart the accretion disk forming needed to keep it running and habitable. A hundred trillion years is a really long time for a critical mistake to happen during. This is not the end though. Realistically, people will have known if they were near those two rogue brown giants that with just a bit of a nudge might run into each other and become a new dim red dwarf, there will be that place that did successfully juggle the delicate process of feeding matter from one of their remaining gas giants onto their cooling white dwarf sun at a rate that produced a steady power supply but not a nova till that ran out several billion years later or they made a mistake and for a million light years all around the other handful of survivors wondered what that bright little dot in the sky was it wouldn't seem a place that hope would thrive in but let us remember scale These projects are almost inconceivable in some ways because they often leave little room for mistakes and no room for calamities, and would require an almost inconceivable amount of dedication and for billions upon billions of years. It seems inconceivable, and yet we must also be mindful that the growing despair of an encroaching eternity is really not that quick to rise. If science proved tomorrow that Earth would be wrecked unequivocally in 10,000 years, longer than our civilization's entire recorded history, The reality is that it would actually be longer than a lot of the population expected. It's also just some arbitrary number at that point, 10,000 or 10 million or 10 billion really doesn't mean much to us at a basic level. That last planet though will arrive, and even if it started its life when there were still a few million others left in the galaxy, Odds are if anyone is still running a decently powerful telescope, the next to last would have winked out and its absence of light reached them before they ran out their own clock. Maybe some refugees arrived and were welcomed, maybe they just lacked the ability to stop them landing. This is not a robust world at this point, it takes a long time to mine out an entire planet, but that last star is probably living several trillion years, so they have had it. This planet is tidally locked it's ice on one side and a borderline desert on the other, probably covered in greenhouses wherever they can. On those glaciers at the twilight edge of the ward are the last lakes, fed by a slow glacial melt, and those retreat towards the center of the dayside as time goes on and the ward cools to the point that even the eternal twilight band is too cold for water not to freeze. There will be no retreat underground the way we could if our sun disappeared tomorrow, because there's no great reservoir of internal heat left over in a planet 10 trillion years old, and there is no vast supply of fissile materials to run nuclear power plants on. There's a good chance this planet was not the first world colonized in this solar system either, just the last one barely habitable as things cool down. You live on the Sun side, probably now under domes, to help keep the air and water in. There's a desert outside, but it's fake. the dust blown around the last million or so years since the surface got more and more abandoned. There's a trillion years of empire buried under it like geological strata, and people mine it all the time, and the standard for hitting pay dirt keeps going down. But nobody really knows because it takes so long for things to wind down. Even the last time a ship arrived, claiming to be the Harbinger of the end of the neighboring world was a million years back, and those who record such things have had to succeed in doing that through the rise and fall of thousands of empires, each weaker and frailer than the last, but seeming epic and mighty to those of its time. Where does this end? That's hard to say. Nobody's expecting a technological miracle at this point, though they may be keeping their hopes up for the other kind. I'm not expecting this to end as a Mad Max situation, There's just going to get to be a day where the increasing effort to keep those domes intact and minimize their leaking, while salvaging and making replacements, gets harder and harder, and the dimming sun weaker and weaker and weaker. Each dome produces less, takes more effort to maintain, and a breakdown is going to happen. Parts get harder to scavenge. At some point, this is going to get critical, and whether they dwindle from tens of thousands to none over one night or ten centuries does not matter much. You could have a few folks that kept a personal dome running even after it was just them by themselves. They may be ageless too, one would expect life extension technology to have long since been mastered, and the odds favor the last people would be the old ones who are very skilled at survival and very practiced at it. Someone might survive for thousands of years as the last person on that ward or any other, they might be determined to keep going on even alone, till an accident got them, or one day just give up. I think life itself would probably go on a little while longer, maybe even millions of years, as there are critters a lot tougher than humans when it comes to the Arctic Tundra, but these people aren't human anywhere outside of our imaginings. Definitely a depressing end scenario, though it leaves a lot of room for courage and nobility, and remember, it was a tale of a trillion worlds and a hundred trillion years. If humanity ended today, our one planet and its thousands of years of recorded history, and far more unrecorded, I would still not say it had existed for no good end, simply because it came to a true end. That doesn't erase what our civilization has done just because no one is left to remember it. Over any timeline, no matter how long, which is not infinity, you still have an end come for you. We discuss other even greater and longer-lived civilization scenarios in our Civilizations at the End of Time series, but those are still finite for all their immensity, and while they might add a few more zeros to the number counting down on the clock, that last zero still comes. I don't believe it made the event that it was timing worthless just because it is over, but your mileage may vary. Do I think this scenario is likely? On a brighter note, no. Again, I think the weight of evidence favors a universe in which interstellar travel is practical and mega-engineering is doable. Also realistically, I don't know what civilization a billion years from now will look like but I'm betting that if it looks human, it's mostly a conceit of the oldest surviving post-humans who might still be kicking around at that point. Biological life may be possible for another 100 trillion years indeed even longer with various mega engineering projects for refueling stars or powering artificial black holes, but I can't say I expect it to be the norm for eons to come or to much resemble us if it is, perhaps in spirit and kinship if not much in appearance. Whether it's a 100 trillion years from now, or 100 quintillion, or we find some get-out-of-jail-free card for beating entropy or traveling to new universes, it's a lot more time than this world of ours has classically. So, if your takeaway from this episode was that space colonization serves no point, I would argue that even in the more pessimistic scenario we examine today, it absolutely does, as it's still the gateway to a trillion worlds and trillions of years to dwell on them. A trillion, trillion lives to lead and stories to tell, all waiting for us out there in the galaxy. That hardly sounds like a dark or pessimistic future to me. Some of my favorite episodes to make are ones like today where we get to use a story to help us paint a clearer explanation of possible futures and how science helps us see the universe around us, and I hope you enjoyed today's story, and don't forget to hit the like and subscribe buttons if you did. For my part, I've always loved science fiction as much as science, and it's probably why I like to use stories to explain concepts, My favorite way to consume a good book though is on audio, where a great narrator can make a great book even better, but even the best performance of a story or song can be wrecked by bad audio equipment. That's why I love my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, they offer premium sound quality for half the price of other premium audio brands, with noise isolation, seamless Bluetooth pairing, and comfortable fits with gel tips that won't fall out of your ear. Their noise isolation mode lets me use them even while I'm mowing the lawn, and their awareness mode lets me keep alert to my surroundings instead when I need to. And they're great earbuds not just for music and stories, but for phone calls too. They have an 8 hour battery life along with a portable charging case for 32 hours of total battery life. And they are durable, I have accidentally left mine in the washing machine before, twice, and they're still going and Raycon has been a show sponsor for 4 years now, so that's durability you can rely on. Raycons are stylish, comfortable, and come in many colors and patterns, and you can adjust the volume, toggle modes, and answer phone calls with quick taps, and there's no dangling cords or stems. Premium audio, premium comfort, and an affordable price. And if you don't like them, Raycon has a 30-day free return policy. Treat yourself to crystal clear audio quality for work and relaxation and feel the difference. Are you ready to buy something small with a big impact? Click the link in the description box or go to buyraycon.com slash to get 15% off your Raycon purchase. So today we looked at the end of the Universe, but we're still just getting going for August, and this weekend it's time for our monthly Sci-Fi Sunday on Cyborg Armies, what it might be like to be in one, and what the future of war might look like if they exist. And next week we'll be exploring where we might get water and other volatiles in space with Comet Mining. After that, we'll look at the concept of de-evolution and ask if fictional mutant degenerates like Morlocks and Shuds might be possible in our future. Then we'll close out the month with our livestream Q&A, Sunday, August 27th, at 4pm Eastern Time, and then Thursday, August 31st, we'll look at Neotome Space Colonization. If you'd like to get alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons. You can also help support the show on Patreon, and if you want to donate and help in other ways, you can see those options by visiting our website, you can also catch all of SFIA's episodes early and ad-free on our streaming service, Nebula, along with hours of bonus content, at go.nebula.tv slash As always, thanks for watching and have a great week.